fine, Gavin, I'll give you that one. Yes, at least you can say bad words on British TV. Yes. The following podcast contains... Can't fire a guy for cursing. No, I, I'm not upset by cursing. I, mean, I love cursing. I love it. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you used a bleep sound to cover my goddamn motherfucking shit language, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 419, Find a Stranger in the Alps, where we take a look at the amusing censoring of bad words on television. Stay tuned. What the hell were you thinking podcast is brought to you by Swearing Soap. Soap that gets dirty mouths clean. Do you have a foul mouth child, an uncultured boy who uses filthy or obscene language and won't stop no matter how hard you try? Then you need swearing soap. The bar soap specially formulated to wash that language right out of the mouth. Regular soaps are fine for occasional profanity, but chronic cursors need the extra bitter sudsing action of swearing soap. It makes Life Boy taste like chocolate candy. When the recalcitrant foul mouth boy in your life won't give up the filthy words, Swearing Soap will teach him to watch his language or your money back. Swearing Soap gets the dirtiest mouth clean. No bad words, bad thoughts, bad intentions, and words. You know the seven, don't you, that you can't say on television? Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits, huh? <laughs> Those are the heavy seven. Those are the ones that'll infect your soul, curve your spine, and keep the country from winning the war. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits, wow. And tits doesn't even belong on the list, you know? Yeah. It's such a friendly sounding word. Sounds like a nickname, right? Hey, Tits, come here, man. Hey, Tits. Hey. Hey, Tits, me Toots. Toots, Tits. Toots, Tits, man. Now, I don't want to paint my parents as authoritarians. Oh, here we go. They weren't. They just had a set of rules they laid down that we children were expected to obey. Most of them, pretty common sense. Don't play with matches. Good rule. Let in with the house burned down. Stay out of the street. Great rule if you want live kids, which they did. Then there were other rules that were more about enforcing order in the home, like bedtimes. When I was a kid, I couldn't understand fucking bedtimes, but as an adult, oh, I get it. My parents just wanted a couple of hours of peace and quiet with all that, you know. Making all that goddamn noise. I don't have kids, but I do live in an apartment building, and those bedtimes are a blessing for everyone in the surrounding fucking apartments. And then finally, there were those rules about conduct, the things we could never do. Drinking, good example, utterly forbidden. Clearly that didn't work. Yeah, well, they can't all be winners. Also, swearing. There was absolutely no profanity in my parents' home. They didn't use it, and by God, their children were not going to use it either. 
In my 54 years, I can count on one hand the times I've heard my mother use profanity. Now, my dad will occasionally drop a very mild shit into a conversation with his adult children, but it's always in a very hushed tone of voice like he's embarrassed by it, and usually in a mildly conspiratorial manner. And you know what? That particular rule, that shit worked. You just said it. Oh, I mean, I swear all the time, but never in front of my parents. I mean, I could spew profanity for 10 minutes straight without repeating myself, but I'm incapable of cursing in front of my parents. I could drive a nail into my hand in front of my mother, and the worst words that would escape my lips might be, Oh, shoot. And even then, that's going to get a raised eyebrow, because she would know that I really wanted to scream, Oh, shit. Because even euphemisms were cussing were forbidden in our house. If you stubbed your toe and hopped around shouting, gosh dang it, you stood a good chance of getting your mouth through the soap in the mouth because she knew that you meant to blasphemy. And oh yeah, we definitely got the soap. Over the years, I got to be quite a connoisseur of soap. My personal preference is for Lux, but I found palm olive had a nice piquant after dinner flavor. Heady, but with just a touch of mellow smoothness. I mean, it didn't happen a lot, but really... When you've had your mouth washed out with soap a few times, you'll find that you'll go out of your way to avoid repeating the experience. As I got older, I began to experiment in the high art of swear words. By the time I was in high school, I was a competent, if not terribly creative, user of profanity. It would be the military that gave me the broad and deep education in the application of foul language that I pride myself on today. You know, the recruiter told me when I enlisted that this would be giving me skills that I would use later in life, but he could never imagine that spitting fuck into a microphone would be the one that I use the most. So I wasn't much of a cursor as a kid. I mean, definitely not like today when it seems many a child's first words all have four letters. Potty mouth feral child. I'm pretty sure it's because they're streaming all their TV shows on the internet. When I was a kid, I was shocked to the core of my being when Hawkeye was trying to resuscitate a dying patient on the operating table and shouted, don't let the son of a bitch win. The point is he said a bad word. And this got me thinking. Why not make a show about the golden days of television where you couldn't say any of the cool words or they would bleep it out or dub it over with some truly outlandish shit? And that's this week's topic. Don't get along enough! Americans have always been a cussing society. When the first colonists arrived at Jamestown to steal the land from the Native Americans, many of them were sailors, and sailors were not known even then as being overly polite in their choice of language. Indeed, in the 17th century, there was little problem with a good bit of profanity. Quoting from a University of Glasgow website, quote, Licorice glutton, freckled bitter, jobbernal goose cap, ninny lobcock. Believe it or not, these bizarre terms of abuse are all common swear words in the 17th century. In fact, swearing and cursing in Elizabethan and Stuart England seem to have been widespread and relatively free from opprobrium, both in print and in public. Yet curiously, 100 years later, use of obscene and profane language in print and polite conversation was not only frowned upon, but as this recently cataloged 18th century testified, illegal, unquote. So, it's safe to say that they were fucking swearing in the earliest days of America, but that all changed when the Puritans showed up at Plymouth. Now, if you know anything about Puritans, you'll know that they are the, uh, You are the fucking fun police! They hated everything fun. They hated Christmas. 
I mean, I hate Christmas, but they hated it for very different reasons because people were literally having too much fun during Christmas, and that wasn't, to their way of thinking, godly. Uh, I could give ground on blasphemy, which has long been the dominant form of profanity, but they also forbade about talking about sex or thinking about sex or having sex unless you were doing it to a very unhappy wife to create children. The only fun thing a Puritan could do was drink booze, and honestly, if you're drinking and not swearing, it's like dry humping the couch. Yeah, you're probably still going to get off, but it's kind of sad and pointless. And while the Puritans quickly were quickly outnumbered by other less rigid colonizers, their influence runs deep in Americans and how Americans view pretty much everything fun. Also, an awful lot of descendants of Puritans deeply tainted by their puritanical really, Dave? zeal rose to positions of power and influence in early America, which means that their ideology is all over our jurisprudence and social mores. So, when the First Amendment was written, it was not explicit, but commonly accepted that not all speech was free. A Middle Tennessee State University article lays out the thinking, quote, Historically, profane words were considered blasphemous and punishable. In 1942, Justice Francis W. Murphy assumed this position in his famous passage from the Fighting Words decision of Chaplinsky versus New Hampshire. There are certain well-defined and narrowly limited classes of speech and prevention and punishment of which has never been thought to raise any constitutional problem. These include lewd and obscene, the profane, the libelous, or the assaulting or fighting words, unquote. For most of history, blasphemy and profanity could be and was prohibited by law. State and local ordinances forbade the use of such language in public where it could be overheard by others. If you wanted to shout fuck behind the closed doors of your home, that was nobody's business. But you better watch your mouth if you're on the street, son. None of this actually meant people didn't fucking swear all the goddamn time. No cursing. Don't curse so much. Much like me, growing up, profanity was used, but the user ran the risk of punishment if they were imprudent and where they used it. This was the way of things for the first century and a half of our history. It would not truly begin to change until the 1970s when the Supreme Court began to chip away at the law's regulated speech when it came to bad words. Again, from a different MTSU article, quote, The court ruled that profanity cannot be banned under the First Amendment. Nearly 30 years later, the current court ruled that an individual could not be convicted under a local disturbing the peace law when he wore a jacket bearing the words, fuck the draft, into a California courthouse. In Cohen v. California in 1971, Justice John Marshall Harlan II reasoned that, while the particular four-letter word being litigated here is perhaps more distasteful than most others of his genre, it is nevertheless often true that one man's vulgarity is another's lyric. Harlan warned that the government might soon seize upon the censorship of particular words as a convenient guise for banning the expression of unpopular view. Cohen stands for the principle that profane words in themselves cannot be banned under the First Amendment, unquote. There was, indeed is, one place where speech like profanity is closely guarded against, and that is over the public airwaves. The Radio Act of 1927 is the first law to regulate what can and cannot be broadcast over any public air, stating, quote, Section 29 of the Act, while prohibiting obscene, indecent, or profane language, provided that the Commission would not otherwise have the power to censor the content of programs, the Federal Communications Commission. The concept that broadcasting was a privilege was not considered a violation of the broadcaster's First Amendment rights. The radio industry generally accepted the premise that free speech did not mean the right for anyone to say anything on the air. Free speech issues in 1927 were secondary to ending the airwaves chaos, unquote. Meaning simply, Don't you cuss on this here radio. 
the logic behind the laws of the public is that the airwaves, the public airwaves, and eventually television, were publicly owned, and the government was their steward. Therefore, the government could regulate what was spoken over those airways for the, quote, public good, unquote. From an article on theconversation.com, quote, Yet using sounds to mask offensive language predates the FCC and dates back to, 19, to a 1921 radio speech on Newark, New Jersey's WJZ by vaudeville actress Olga Petrova. Petrova was famous for her outspoken advocacy of feminism and birth control, and station managers were worried that she might violate the 1873 Comstock Act, which prohibited the distribution of obscene materials, including information about contraception. So the radio engineers created a mechanism for masking her words with music from a phonograph when she dared speak her mind, and they ended up needing to use it several times, unquote. This would lead to some issues in later years as some of the government felt that certain music was against the public good, leading to lawsuits against this famous 77 Dirty Words trial from which our Carlin intro tape was taken. And all of this is a show topic in and of its own, but we're here to talk about television. Television in the early days was all live, so sometimes accidents happen. Like when Jefferson Airplane accidentally dropped a motherfucker live on the Dick Cavett show. This posed a real problem because broadcast television faced fines on the loss of advertisers if they didn't come up a way to keep the offending words off the air. Fortunately for the delicate ears of Americans, technology came to the rescue. Tape delays would switch the live stream of the broadcast to a tape for a few seconds before it went live, allowing quick-fingered engineers to block out unwanted words with a simple and now iconic sound, the sensor bleep. More from the conversation, quote, just exactly who deployed the bleep tone first is unclear, but engineers had long used the 1000 hertz sine wave tone to test equipment connection, so it was at their fingertips. By the mid-1960s, the, the bleep tone was heard everywhere, so much so that bleeping was used in FCC deliberations as a verb to define the practice of masking profanity, unquote. On every live production, there was a person whose entire job was to hover over the bleep button in the three to seven seconds between the tape and the broadcast, and they called him the fuckboy. The fuckboy? Okay, maybe I made that part up, but that really should be the name. By the 1970s, bleeping was common practice on radio and television for unscripted broadcasts, be they talk shows or news reports. It worked because the bleep covered up the specific word, but left the context around it so the viewer could understand what the word was without actually needing to hear said word. That's fucking stupid. Agreed. But so is this country. So, for instance, a man on the street interviewed about a crime might have the interview saying something along the lines of, uh, when the shooting started, I pissed my pants. That would be covered up by the bleep. Now, the problem was, if you bleeped the entire word piss, the viewer might think the dude said shit his pants. And in the bizarre math of bad words, shit is worse than piss, so the fuckboy had to leave just another pee in the piss before the bleep so the actual word was recognizable, but not so recognizable that the station would be fined. Plus, it's just idiocy. And yet, that's exactly how it worked. What's worse, at least from the perspective of those who didn't want profanity on television, is the bleeping had kind of the opposite effect that they intended. Instead of making people swear less, it actually led to more cursing on television, just bleeped cursing. It became avant-garde to cross the verbal Rubicon on broadcast television. From a Verge.com article, quote, 
Luckier performers have made a success out of flouting conventional morality. In her notorious appearance on Late Night with David Letterman in 1994, Madonna, whom Letterman introduced by dryly, dryly observing that she had slept with some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry. Yeah, that's Dave. Not great, man. But again, it's 1994. Madonna smoked a cigar and said, fuck, 13 times. Letterman foe innocently asked, you realize this is being broadcast, don't you? Unquote. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. People don't want to hear the word... Oh, stop it! Will you stop? Ladies and gentlemen, turn what, down your minute, volume. Minute, turn are... the volume down immediately. She can't be stopped. Now, that was a dump button, not a bleep, which the dump button just kills the audio, but the effect is the same. Going back to The Verge, quote, Shortly after it became a familiar convention, the bleep became a subject of comedy in its own right. This is the kind of humor that has a long pedigree. There's an elderly man river song, a lovely bit from Stan Freeberg's 1957 radio show, in which a persnickety censor, Mr. Tweedley of the Citizens Radio Committee, noisily and self-righteously bowdlerizes a performance of the song Old Man River. The writers of Arrested Development are masters of this comic technique, repeatedly push the, pushing the envelope. They snuck the word fucking past primetime television censors by putting half the word at the beginning of the show and half at the end, unquote. Some shows made the bleep their brand. Going back to the conversation now, quote, By the time Springer's show began in 1991, a paradoxical mis deregulation and self-censoring had settled over the industry, producing edgy shows with lots of beeps. Audiences experienced bleep performances as more authentic. Provocateurs like Madonna knew that cursing drew attention, and she has repeatedly reused a self-promotional technique ever since in her infamous spot on the Arsenio Hall show in 1990. Oh yeah, she had a rep when she talked about giving good bleep. It was the highest rated Arsenio show ever. Springer quickly learned that booking guests who required bleeps boosted ratings, unquote. And by the early 2000s, there seemed to be an arms race to, among TV shows to see who could include the most bleeps in any given episode. Quoting now from an academic paper entitled, entertainingly enough, Go Bleep Yourself, quote, what might be the most interesting data point in this study, however, is the increased use of bleeped expletives, where the expletive is covered by an audio high-pitched tone intended to obscure the offensive word. Across all networks and all prime time hours, use of the bleep or muted F-word increased from 11 instances total in 2005 to 276 episode instances in 2010, an increase of 2,409%. The beeped shit increased 281% at 8 o'clock, and the bleeped fuck increased 1,010% at 8 and 15,000 at 9. Unquote. Starting in the late 70s and into the 80s, broadcast TV had a different but related problem. In cable TV. The rule for swearing on cable is different from broadcast because cable doesn't use public air airwaves. It used privately owned, you know, cables legally cable television can play any fucking word or sex scene they want practically it adhered basically to the same policies of broadcast when it came to the gutter language at least on basic cable the tranche of channels that come with any subscription pay tv like hbo showtime and skinamax doesn't kick in with the really dirty stuff till about three anyway we're no holes barred on language violence and boobies Facing increased competition from cable, broadcasts began running Hollywood movies a lot sooner after they released were they released in theaters. I mean, they'd always run Hollywood movies, but usually they were older movies before all the cussing and swearing had become so prevalent. And beeping was considered too intrusive for movies in the most part, so TV began another method of cleaning up potty language dialogue. They called it dialogue replacement. 
Instead of all the bad words used on big screen, alternate words were dubbed in over the original filth. In the early days, it was done in a whole separate editing process by the TV industry, which resulted in some pretty bad dubbing and recognizably different voices from the actors that would swap shit for shucks and much amusement could be had. But Hollywood eventually agreed to make the second clean track for television at the time of filming by the actors for an additional price. This made watching the TV edit of a movie highly entertaining, just not for the reasons the people who made the film imagined. Perhaps the most famous alternate dialogue came from the Coen Brothers' Big Lebowski, a film famous at the time for the most amount of fucks in any movie to date, though it has long since been trumped many times over. The scene where Walter Shobchak destroys a car with a tire iron played on television rather differently and far more humorously than in the film. The original? You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens? This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, Larry. Was rendered far more amusingly than even the Coen brothers could have imagined. Or maybe they did, and that was the whole point. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens? This is what happens, Larry. You see what happens, Larry? See what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? What happens? I really want an oral history of the ADR on the Big Lebowski. I want to know whether a scriptwriter actually wrote the TV version of the lines, uh, or whether fucking John Goodman and everyone just got a little high and went for it. Now we don't have the one for Lebowski, but we do have something for the movie Scarface, which. Uh, did not have Al Pacino do an ADR, but an but a Al Pacino, a bad Al Pacino imitator. It's not the full story, but it gives you a little bit of the uh, thinking that went behind TV edits for movies. When Harry Tattleman, the gentleman that converted or converts Universal's film into television fare, taking out the language and some of the violence and some of the nudity came to me and, and told me that they had plans to release this on, on network. I told him, I said, how are you crazy? What the fuck's the matter with you? You just fucked yourself. What you think you fucked with, man? Fuck, 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 fuck! Now, how are you going to get around the, the 160 F words? Um, how are you going to get around all of the other profanity? He says, I will be able to do it. Where'd you get the beauty scar, tough guy? Eating pussy? Where'd you get that beauty scar, tough guy? Eating pineapple? Why don't you try sticking your head up your ass? Sticking your head up your toilet. <laughs> Over the years, through so many movies, the TVA, TV edits became more and more laughable. The Breakfast Club's hot beef injection became sweet wild affection. Ferris Bueller's Pardon My French, But You're an Asshole became Pardon My French, But You're an Aardvark. Die Hard's yippee ki motherfucker became yippee ki Mr. Falcon, and even the Exorcist's iconic line about mothers sucking cocks in hell became mothers sewing socks that smell. Even in the 2000s, when like TV edits for movies were rapidly becoming things of the past, the movie, the first movie made by the internet, had its famous Sam Jackson line diluted into absolute gibberish. Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday play! Again, 
I need to know about that ADR session with Samuel L. Jackson. Was was he sober for that? Or uh, he had to have had a flat spliff and just said whatever the fuck came into his mind. That is a podcast series I would do if I were the deposed prince of England and his Hollywood wife. Just have the stars come on and talk about the ADR sessions for their TV edits. I mean, at least they would have gotten one fucking podcast delivered. By the late 1990s, broadcast TV was getting their lunch eaten by cable. So they began to lighten up on the bleeps and the TV edits. And the way they decided to do this was to ease up on censorship but only after 9 p.m. when a, when perhaps the youngest of the impressionable kitties had gone to bed, and only then in the most serious dramatic circumstances. Douglas Adams created an intergalactic movie award in his book Life, the Universe, and Everything called a Rory. In the UK version, the Rory was for the most gratuitous word of the use of the word fuck in a serious screenplay. And that's humorous. But when the book came to the States, his publisher, or more likely Adams, changed the word from fuck to Belgium. The story logic being that the word Belgium was the most offensive word in the entire known universe, and only humans would be so crass as to name a bland and fairly boring country with such a vile and despicable word. It turned a rather banal use of the word fuck into something absolutely hilarious. And the reason I bring this up is that broadcast TV began a race for their own Rory Award by seeing which network could use a previously taboo word or image in a serious context and get away with it. ABC's NYPD Blue broke the nudity barrier, but only from behind. The bare naked ass on broadcast TV. This had terrible fucking consequences because a season or two later they showed us despite the fact that no one alive had asked for it and no one alive wanted it probably not even his wife dennis francis bare naked ass on broadcast television dear god why they had to do something to fight back against the sopranos i'm just saying but at least we never got to see gandolfini's fat bare ass on television and finally in 1999 Broadcast TV finally got brave enough to break the shit barrier. Mark Leroy Jethro Gibbs Harmon utters a deadly, in a deadly serious moment of the medical drama Chicago Hope, shit happens in the clear for the first time on broadcast TV. There's no word on whether Chicago Hope was ever nominated for a Rory. Now, fear not, the bleep is not dead. It continues to be the dominant form of censorship and enjoys a rich comedic life on the internet. You'll know that I am called the Count because I really love to f Sometimes I sit and f all day. <laughs> but uh, sometimes I get carried away I slowly, slowly, slowly getting faster Once I start in it's very hard to stop hey. Bleeping is used even when it is perfectly legal and actually appropriate to use the actual profane word Pay cable TV shows use it for comic effect Bleeping is now part of the American canon, which is ironic, since it was and is an anathema to the very idea of free speech. I understand. 
Some people don't like certain kinds of language, and out of respect for them, that language shouldn't be used in their presence. Despite the fact that I swear all the fucking time, even when I don't need to, I don't swear in front of my parents because I respect their wish not to hear me do it. It's not like I'm afraid my mom will wash my mouth out with soap and when I'm 54 years old if I slip a fuck when I stub my toe in the dark. Are you sure about that? <laughs> okay, maybe I'm a little scared that she wouldn't do that, but I don't think she actually would. It's because it's their home and their rules. It's the same reason I don't get drunk there. That and the weave vape is easier to hide because you can't smell it on my breath. But having the government insist on blocking speech that everyone uses, at least almost everyone, on public airwaves in the 21st century when you can get hardcore porn on your phone is absolutely ridiculous. It is way past time to stop forcing TV to bleep certain words when those words are now so common. Six-year-olds use them when I don't get out of the subway car fast enough when I'm in front of them. You fat fuck. I'm not free. I'm not a free speech absolutist like, say, Elon Musk, who thinks it's okay to kick off a new holocaust because he wants incels to like him. But shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, intense are just part of the standard American English lexicon. Yes, even cunt. Cunt should be opened up for general use like the Aussies do. I don't think it should be used to demean women because fuck people who do things like that. But sometimes, sometimes... People are just being a fucking cunt, like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is a guy, but he's a fucking cunt. And sometimes, just sometimes, that person being a fucking cunt is a woman, and they want to hide from the fact of being called a cunt, like, say, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a cunt. The fact that she is also a woman has nothing to do with calling her the cunt that she is. If, if we heard something like, Today on NPR's Morning Edition, Georgia Congress Congressional Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene was being really cunty on the floor of Congress today when she called for trans children to be shipped off for Jesus camps. That, that, that would be an accurate representation of the kind of person and the kind of behavior that she is, and I think it just might help. That is it for the show this week. Yeah, okay, that's the show. It's fine, I guess. I'm not super happy with it, but when you're 419 shows in, sometimes you just have to go with what you got. Good news is, it's September, which means October is right around the corner, and October means Spooktacular. We're already in pre-production for Spooktacular 2023. I don't want to give away our topic, but I'll just drop you a little hint. I'm a blood-sucking fiend. Do with that what you will. Speaking of doing what you will, rate and review us so other people can find us, take a listen, and decide whatever it is you and I are doing they wish we weren't. So support us by dropping a dollar in our swear jar over patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits, otherwise he will be forced to show up and use some very harsh language with me during my annual performance review. And so for me, Dave, would you look at this mother... <laughs> Let's up, uh, producer. I want everyone to know that I am and I don't believe that anyone should be using such words on any broadcast, public, private, or otherwise. I think that it makes you sound like a complete Why did you speak? I didn't say any bad word. Why? No, I didn't say I don't use that kind of language. Gavin! And all the fictional sleepers on this show, we want to say... Enough is enough! I have had it with these...
monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday play. And we'll see you all next week. What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com or on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or on Facebook as what the hell podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. At this time of year, few sights evoke more feelings of cheer and goodwill than the lights of a Christmas tree.